1: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Hello and welcome to Secure the Insecure Episode 5. I'm Johnny Seifert and every week I'm joined by two special guests who want to tell you it's okay to not be okay. It's so important at the moment to just speak out. Just say, look, I need help or look, I've suffered, I want you to know so it doesn't happen to you. On this week's episode you're going to hear from Gail Porter, massive star in the nineties hosting Top of the Pops, being on the big breakfast, but then there was a come down and it led to her being homeless. She's going to tell you her candid story about that later on on the show. But first, I'm joined by Chelsea Outram. Now, Chelsea is a plus-size model who says that her insecurity is all about her stretch marks. Tell me more. Chelsea joins me. Hello, Chelsea.
1: Hi there, Johnny. you okay? I'm
2: very good, thanks. So, being a model obviously means, you know, your centre point on posters everywhere. But you have to go on a journey to get there. It's not just the fact that you rock up on a poster. So what's your journey (laughs) to being a model?
1: Like, modelling was never in my path. It's never something that I've wanted to... that I set out to go and achieve. To be honest, I've always been on the other side of the camera. So I started off when I was 16. I owned um, a clothing brand. With that comes creativity, and I've always been kind of, like, the one that's always been on the other side of the camera, directing from the other side. I got pregnant when I was 19 and had my little girl um, when I was 20.
2: And was that in a relationship? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. She was planned. She was, uh plan
2: yeah. to have a baby at
1: yeah. 19 yeah so my life was like i'd um i was well established i had my own clothing line so i had a baby um i then sold my business um the clothing brand as it it was getting too much i was manufacturing over in china and um, designing myself and it was all a bit too much for when i'd had um my little girl and um, so i sold the business and then i was just unemployed um just being a stay-at-home mum really um and then a modeling agency was um dming me on instagram for about a year
2: and how did they find out who you are
1: i mean so i've always kind of had that following behind me because of the clothing brand and stuff like people would come in and take pictures in the shop and tag me and whatever so my following had always kind of been up there um, and they was um, a boutique agency in Manchester. So I think they kind of did a bit of research and found me. They was DMing me for about a year and I was just constantly ignoring them because I thought, oh my God, a modelling agency, like I've just had a baby, I've got all these stretch marks, I'm not a size eight by far, like there's no way. But um, you're not
2: big, because for those who haven't seen you, yeah. you're not big. I mean, <laughs> so, I don't know about women's sizes, but yeah. you look beautiful Thank and you. you don't look like a plus-size model as they call you.
1: So... So I'm like a 14 to 16 size clothing um, and I think anything past a 10 is plusters. Plus. Wow. Yeah.
2: So plus Creepy. size actually probably isn't as plus size yeah, as one no, is led to believe? No,
1: not at all. And I think so there's a kind of category coming into play that's kind of called in between and I think that's where I fit but until that's fully enforced I'm classed as a plus size model. How does yeah. that make you
2: feel being called a plus size model? So
1: you know what, like I was such a weird thing happened yesterday. So I've been in the mix of constantly shooting and shooting and shooting. So like now I shoot every single day, whereas um, yesterday I got asked to do a catwalk for Simply Be, and um, they would brought in eight um, real women, real of their customers, and two models, me being one of them, and we did this catwalk. And like these women were, um, let's say, a lot bigger than me, size 26, twenty six, twenty twenty eight. Um, And then after they did the catwalk, they felt so empowered. They was crying. So, like, literally things that, like, when I get things like that as a job, like, it brings me back down to, like, why I'm doing this and what I'm...
2: But in the modelling industry, we always hear, firstly, about the drugs that a lot of them take, but also about the anorexia and that people have eating disorders because they're told you have to be a size zero. So when you're being told you're a plus-size model... Yeah. Does that not make you go, well, hold a minute, if I'm plus size to them, they know best, so I need to go on a diet now and then you go yeah. on a crash diet so that you don't become a plus size model and you're just a normal model?
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Like, I feel like... So it's so funny, actually, because when we're on set, like, we'll have dinners and stuff and they'll bring us pizza and whatever. And I'm always like, you guys are doing this because we're plus size. That's why. No. <laughs> where they give sushi yeah, and to <laughs> the night, so yeah. You yeah. guys are having water. But no, like, I feel like um, I've been on a lot of shoots as well with um, where it's mixed. So there's plus size and... Would you say normal size models um and everyone kind of just they just fit into their category i 've never so far touched wood come across something where I've felt uncomfortable modeling i 've always been in a good like environment around good people and everybody 's just there to do the job and there 's been no warning signs or anything where I think somebody's like needed help
2: and what about the diversity because you I presume from an ethnic my uh, background yeah. do you notice that there 's enough diversity within the models that they're representing you enough? Yeah. Or is that one of the reasons why you were, wanted to be a model to get that representation?
1: Yeah. Um, no, I feel like um, every plus size shoot that I've come, come across, like I feel like there's been enough diversity. I feel like um, maybe the plus size even has a bit more diversity than um, the other side to the industry.
2: And is that because they want to say, we are doing it. Because, yeah. you know, Mark Suspensers oh, went 100%. through a phase about two years ago where it was like they were all looking the stick thin and then yeah. they did the whole disability campaign, I think I'm right in yeah, saying.
1: that's right, yeah.
2: Um, so... You know, they want to say, "Look, we're the ones doing it, and we're not a tokenism." Yeah. There's no tokenism there. A yeah. you know, coronation street this week announced that they've got their first ever black family in 60 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. But then that's the token family. Yeah. So you've got a token black family, token Asian family. <laughs> yeah, literally. But if you're talking about plus size models, there is no there's no tokenism there because no. you're all the same.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I don't think there's a token in saying like there's a there's a plus size community, but I do think that. Um, the diversity in there is really, really widespread. So I've been on shoots with black, Asian, um, so so many, so many different plus size um, models. So, yeah, I think it is quite widespread.
2: Okay, so that's the modelling part. Uh, yeah. But the other part too, as we said, your insecurity yeah. is the stretch marks. Yeah. So that came from, I presume, when you had your baby?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
2: Okay, so the stretch marks you can't get rid of. No. When you saw the stretch marks and you're modelling and you're not wearing clothes, how did that make you feel?
1: um being honest like up till now i never know until i get to the job whether they know about my stretch marks obviously so um i have my digits taken and um, modeling and they'll pass them over to whoever whatever um people want them etc but it's only until, so say when I'm doing e-commerce, which is like website, clothing, et cetera, it's only till a piece of clothing comes along where my stomach's out and then I put it on and I'm like, oh, they got it or, oh, they didn't know that I've got stretch marks. And either way, they're there and there's nothing that they can do. The thing that I have come across is whether they Photoshop them out or they keep them in.
2: Okay. So do they Photoshop them? And is there a law against photoshopping because, I mean, I suppose from a personal point of view from yourself, you know they're there and you Mm -hmm. know if they're being photoshopped. So I suppose my question is, firstly, does it bother you if they photoshop them because you're getting paid to do a job and Mm -hmm. you need to look the best you can for that brand? Mm -hmm. And secondly, is there any rules or laws about photoshopping someone's, I don't know what you would call it, personal appearance?
1: Yeah, Um, so... I would... I think, yeah, I would be offended. I ha, Like, it has happened before, and I was offended that they... I mean, there's a difference between retouching and getting getting rid of the whole thing. And I've worked with a brand that just got rid of the whole... Like, they made my stomach like... It was pre Amara, pre-My Daughter. Um, and that did get to me because it kind of, like, took away everything that I stood for. And it was kind of like... I'm I put myself out here to do this um and to be a model with stretch marks da there and then you kind of just wipe the whole thing away
2: you kind of become and, an object and you yeah, lose and your it's kind of uniqueness. like
1: I wish that they wouldn't have booked me if that was the case like there's so many other plus size models that they could have chose if they didn't want stretch marks and they could have picked them with no stretch marks but so yeah it did get to me and I didn't shoot with them ever again <laughs> and they did try to book me again and I was just reluctant I was just saying no to to that to that happening um and did
2: you tell them why
1: so i told my agency why i'm not too sure whether that was passed on because
2: do you think they'd have been embarrassed to find out the real reason or have they gone okay we accept that but actually we've also got a job to do at the end of the day and we need to have the girls looking as good as they can look
1: see that's the thing like i feel like when it becomes plus size i feel like there's so the the guidelines are so much more um flexible like because with 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 being plus size comes cellulite comes so many other things rather than just stretch marks and um and i think that is kind of what the plus size community stand for in modeling like don't retouch what what we've got like we might be plus size but this comes with plus size as well um and second of all with with you saying is there any rules to retouching there isn't um but I have shot for brands where they have, like, retouched me and then I've gone back a few weeks later and they've been like, there's no retouching anymore, we're not allowed to do this, we're not allowed to do that. But that's come from in-house, it's not come from any guidelines that they're not allowed to retouch or anything.
2: Okay, so your insecurity is the stretch marks. Yeah. When you look at yourself in the mirror, mm-hmm. do you notice the stretch marks? And if you do, how does that make you feel?
1: Yeah, I feel like um, as time's gone by, I've been more... I've kind of got used to them a lot more. Um when they was first there, I think it was such a big shock. Because I was nineteen as well. And I think at nineteen you are very focused on how you look and you present and etc. Um so when I was getting these big, big red stretches up my up my stomach, like I literally was just I was mortified. I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm never going to. And I was, and it knocked me back so much. I was literally such a confident person, and it knocked me back so, so much. Um, but as time's gone by and I've got older and I've had Amara now, and, and I think the modelling career has helped me a lot to get over them because um, it's kind of given me the oomph to realise that even though I have got them, I could still do something that's based on my appearance. um. But, yeah, I think that I've grown with them, definitely.
2: Five years after having your daughter and Mm -hmm. having these stretch marks, what would you call in the book of your life this chapter now?
1: Oh, that is a good question. I feel like this chapter, like, I'm so, so, so grateful and thankful for where I am at this moment in time. Like, I literally couldn't, I couldn't have wrote my life to plan out this way, even if I wanted it to. Like, I'm literally so... Like, I get taken back so, so many times, like yesterday with the Simply Be catwalk, for example, of when these girls have finished the catwalk and they're crying and they're just so overwhelmed with being able to walk down a runway in a swimsuit and being powered by all these women that it really takes me back and makes me think that you know what Chelsea like this is what you stand for and this is why you're doing it and so I'd li- um to put it into a title I'd call it thankful and grateful literally
2: what an amazing girl what an amazing achievement and you know, it's interesting as a guy to hear about the modelling industry because I've got no idea about models. I see pictures, and I go, oh, you know, they look nice. But I'd never know the ins and outs of it. And it, it disturbs me that Chelsea calls herself a plus-size model because she's not plus-size. She's 23 years old. She's not what one would call oversized or, you know, in their 40s. She's literally in her prime. And to be called and to accept that she's a plus-size model, it's really disturbing and... Something needs to change. As she said, they've got this new interchangeable uh, size between the size zero and the plus size models. But even something else needs to be done. I don't know what, but something else needs to be done. Anyway, food for thought there. Coming up next, you're going to hear from Gail Porter. Now, she was a massive star in the 90s, still is a presenter, uh, one of the kindest people that I know. She spoke to me all about the embarrassment of when she became homeless. But first of all, I started by asking her what her career was like in the 90s
3: the 90s was I was trying to explain it to my daughter my daughter's now 17 and um, obviously she saw the picture of me naked on the Houses of Parliament and you know when she was younger it was kind of like oh my gosh mum why would you possibly do that and then now she's a bit like yeah okay that's kind of cool it is cool <laughs> it is, is kinda, cool. yeah that was my mum that was and um, how did that come
2: about actually because I, I have no idea about it other than someone said to me once oh Gail Porter oh she's the one who was on the Houses of Parliament
3: yeah well I'll tell you th- the whole thing happened was I did a photo shoot for a magazine called FHM. I don't think it's still around anymore. It's like GQ, you know, Esquire a, a, a Lad's Mag. So um, they said to me, we've got no money can we just do a quick picture of you? It's going to be on like page 70 or something and so they took a picture of me naked and I thought, you know what, I had a few glasses of champagne, why not? Let's do it. What's What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and so then, they say. Yeah exactly. And then there was one day I was in um, my little tiny flat in um, Kilburn in London and I heard my name on the news when I was in the shower and I was like, why is my name on BBC News? This is really odd. And I went through and I saw my that tiny picture that i didn't get paid for plastered across the houses of parliament and yeah it's like a hundred foot naked gail porter (laughs) and i am then the phone started ringing my mum's going what have you done now (laughs) it's like well uh, everyone like kept calling me and saying i hope you got paid for that and i said i didn't get paid i didn't i didn't even know they were going to use it it's illegal and um Yeah, so that was that really. So, um, as much as it was like a non-paid job, it was one of those things that people still talk about, and that was 1999. So it's quite a long
2: time ago. Interesting, you said it's illegal. What is the legality around that? No, actually,
3: it's illegal to print any sort of image onto a public building. So, like the whether it's like the palace or you know you're not allowed to. So there's there's a company called I have to take this really slowly. Cunning Stunts. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did that well. Okay, so they basically took my image in a wee van, got a projector, waited till midnight when there was no, uh, there was no police, there was no one around, no security. And they flashed it onto the building for about one minute, got back into the van, left don't know who these people are, don't know anything about them, but that's what they do one minute because I think you can get fined, well, you can get fined, but it's illegal. You cannot put any sort of images onto, like, uh, any sort of parliamentary, any sort of building like that.
2: And what about from your side? Because... <laughs> You've not consented to say that you actually want your body that exposed. <laughs> you kind of knew you'd signed the agreement that it was going on FX. Right I did I oh, didn't sign it, that? No,
3: no, no. I just turned up and they said we're not sure if we're going to actually use your picture on page seventy-five. And I just thought, oh, do you know what, I'm, you're only young once. They're never mm. going to use this picture. No one's going to ever see it, <laughs> apart from the entire world. And yes, so <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of one of those things. I was a little bit taken aback and I was kind of shocked. But then again, I just thought, you know what, either you worry about it or you go, this is not going to happen again in my lifetime. Well, (laughs) literally once in a
2: lifetime. And look, as you said, 20 years ago, this happened. Yet 20 years ago, we're still talking about it today. It's so weird. Your 90s kind of decade must have been incredible. The things you must have got up to in the 90s.
3: I was actually not I was not that badly behaved I was kind of I think everyone thought we were all you know all the 90s girls we were all kind of doing lads mags but to be honest with you we were doing we were doing big breakfast so you'd be up at 2 o'clock in the morning and then you'd be at the studio for 4 o'clock then you'd run through it then you'd be live at 7 then you'd be off at 9 then you'd go and do other jobs then you'd be on top of the pops at 7 o'clock at night and then you'd go back to bed and then you'd be up again at 2 o'clock so I think everyone kind of thought we had some crazy we're out partying 24-7, I literally was just wanted to go to bed.
2: Because it was a job. It's not a lifestyle. It's a job. You're there to course, do paid work. Of course it's a job, yeah. So, with a paid job, being the Big Breakfast, the biggest show in the 90s, that was when you were at the height. It had to go from high to low, as everything does. So everything does, So, then what yeah. happened?
3: Um... Do you know what? I, I think I, I did. Gosh, I can't remember really. So from Big Breakfast, Top of the Pops, Wish You Were Here, um, then eventually uh, became a mum and, uh, yeah, had the best time. But obviously, when you become a mum, you can't... I, I'm not the sort of person that can afford a nanny or um, I don't have my mum. My mum passed away, so it's not like I can say, could you just help me here? So it was um pretty pretty tricky and then I was going through a divorce so it was kind of juggling everything all at once and then um, while I was going through my divorce, my hair fell out so it was suddenly getting offered jobs. I think when I got offered jobs in the 90s, I was young and it was all about pop music and you know we were all having fun whereas now, could you actually put the television on and go, oh, I can't wait to watch Top of the Pops on a Friday night? It doesn't happen anymore. There's no fun things. It's like you're the reality show people or you're having sex on telly. So, you know, in our days, it was fun, fun. And um, like, interacting with people as opposed to sleeping with someone that you've never met before on a beach.
2: I completely agree with you. I'm just nodding away here. So, Going uh, so going through the divorce led to hair falling out, and the, the thing well, it, about... it wasn't
3: it wasn't because of the divorce. I think I mean I I've got an autoimmune deficiency, something wrong with my, it's me. But I think the more I worry about things, the worse it gets. So um yeah, so, so it's nothing to do with divorce. I think basically, if I worried about anything, I I just yeah. Well, it's good g- though Because I don't have to go to the It takes <laughs> for two seconds in the morning When someone phones and goes Oh you've got to go to your job in 20 minutes I was like it's fine I don't have to do my hair No problem
2: For a woman Body image Hair is one of the most important factors If you have a fringe If you don't have a fringe So when you lose all your hair does that change the way you look at yourself?
3: Fortunate, if, if that's a word you can use when you lose all your hair, but it happened within four weeks. So I didn't have time to think about it. I had this huge amount of long blonde hair down to like the top of my bottom and then suddenly it's all in my hand and it's not on my head anymore. So I thought, okay, either I feel sorry for myself or I just grab it and go, do you know what, It's an- it's another... It's another journey that I'm going on for whatever reason, and yeah, you have you have good days, you have bad days. Like today, I'm having a good day.
2: That's because you've seen me.
3: That's because I've seen you, and I yeah, I just, <laughs> exactly, I just think you know what, I'm I'm just lucky. I'm very lucky. You know, I don't have my mum. She lost her hair for a very different reason. She had cancer. She lost her hair through chemotherapy. I don't have that. I'm a very fortunate human being. But do you know what one of my favourite stories was? There was this guy um, driving past me the other day, and um, he was in a white van. And he thought it was really funny, wound down his window. And he's like, Oi, Baldy. And I thought, Oh, that's that's inventive. That's, that's really clever of you. And then also I noticed he was going up to... Um, traffic lights and they were red and i was like you idiot so i just walked up knocked on his window and i went do you want to say that again to my face right now my name's gail i've got two black belts in martial arts and i will kill you no problem whatsoever i could just see him staring at the lights going go to green go to green i was like yeah yeah, get out your van no more. Uh he didn't get out of the van. <laughs> no,
2: of course he didn't. Course <laughs> He's he was so scared. I wanna to talk to you about another chapter of your life, which was where you were homeless. How did you get into that situation?
3: Oh well, general, you know it's it's a very easy situation to get into. Um yeah, I was kind of not, work wasn't coming in. You have to pay the rent. Uh, so no money's coming in. I've never taken I don't take benefits. So I just kept thinking, right, I'll get another job, I'll do this, I'll do that. And nothing was paying enough to actually pay rent. I was in a one bedroom flat and I just couldn't afford it. And um yeah, so eventually it got to the stage that I said to the landlord, This is the last thousand pounds I have to my entire life and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to leave now. And when I left I was like Wow, okay. <laughs> I've got nowhere to go. <laughs> so um yeah. So I ended up kind of like out in the streets for about six months, backwards and forwards. I was staying in, you know, um staying at people's sofas. There was a couple of nights that I was out on my own, like fending for myself. because uh, also I was I was too embarrassed to tell people. So a lot of my friends now say, why do you not call us? Why do you not? And I said, well, A, I couldn't call you because I couldn't afford a phone. <laughs> so it's like people don't think, they think, oh, you're homeless. Well, just call us. It's like, well, I couldn't afford to put money on the phone. I couldn't contact anybody. And uh, it was just embarrassing, really. But um, I think it's... Um, it did me good in a way because it makes you... I mean, I'm a very compassionate person anyway. But to actually live that way and just think you know what it can happen to anybody at any point you know you can be going top of the pops having a great life and then suddenly I'm on a bench in Hampstead (laughs) don't know why I'm laughing I think it's
2: nerves (laughs) but you've, you've hit the nail on the head especially in the tv world you go from show to show so you're filming a block of a show that's that series done you might have to wait a year or two years for the next series and you still need a job because you're still getting that money yes you're living that lifestyle but you also need the money when the jobs aren't Coming in, especially as TV presenters, where you're the flavour of the month, and then the next flavour is literally coming up.
3: Um, well, exactly, I think. I think as well. I never, I never did one of those lavish lifestyle things. It was kind of, you know. I kept everything quite quiet, did my own thing. I loved, don't get me wrong, I loved every single job that I did. I liked everyone I worked with, but I loved my bed so much. <laughs> it's like As soon as everything finished, I was like, oh great, I can go to bed, and I can get up and go to the gym in the morning, and then I go back to work again. And then when the job, they say, oh yeah, we're going to have another series next month, and you think, oh brilliant, and then they call you up a couple of weeks later and go, actually we're not now. And you're like, oh right, okay, so how do I pay for next month's rent? I don't know how this is going to work and then you try and get you just yeah you don't know where one job's coming from and you know i don't know bit tricky
2: really and when you're homeless did no one because you were in the public eye did no one notice and you know start an appeal for you or you know make a thing for it (laughs) well (laughs) i would i if i knew you were homeless no nobody knew this is something i didn't
3: didn't tell anyone so i would just walk around like i'm dressed now I, i always dressed slightly crap so i kind of dressed like a child and yeah I kept my head up high and then it was not till everyone gone to bed at night I was thinking right so I need to figure out what I'm doing so no one knew, nobody knew I didn't tell anyone, I kept it quiet and just kept my mouth shut and just thought you know what I will survive until tomorrow and then we'll figure this out
2: And that's it for another Secure the Insecure of Me, Johnny Seaford. If you've liked what you've heard, please give it a rating, subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, and then share it and let other people know what you've heard. It is so important to say it's okay to not be okay. And it's also so important to be inspired and educated into people that you don't necessarily know about. I've been Johnny Seaford. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.